You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 144. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. And as always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here. So we've been talking about some really amazing topics over the last couple of weeks. And I know for a lot of you, it's summer. So you are taking time away from school and the show. So uh, based on the numbers I have noticed over the last few years, you will all come in and binge listen to these episodes. So I'm making sure that I bring you topics that are worthy of your binge time because you are in school, you have a lot going on, and I, again, understand that there are so many different apps and podcasts and books and, and just school responsibilities in general that are vying for your attention. So when you go back and you start to really look over what we have discussed over the last couple months. Enjoying your summer is where we started off at 136, where I definitely noticed a lot of you checking out, which is absolutely appropriate for the summer. We discussed stigma, values, and communication. And for some of you listening to the um, listening to some of these, especially maybe empathy or 142, stimulus and choice and reaction and response, um, were difficult because I, t- I talked a lot about these divisive issues that are going on in society. And when people attach their values and their opinions and their beliefs to, um, you know, abortion and guns and the environment and the finances and, you know, COVID and all of these things, like, there's such a strong strong emotional connection to so many of these topics. And when emotions get brought in, our reptilian brain kicks in and we get back to a place when we were younger where we just dig our heels in like, no, this is the way that it is. This is how I believe. I believe that I am right. So therefore you're wrong. And it can become a a humongous argument that we can actually work through if we are willing to have open conversations and dialogue with other people about why it is that they have the feelings that they have about the topics that we're discussing. And it's important we do that because we live in a culture where regardless of of social class or race or creed and color and all of this stuff, we're humans. We're humans at a basic nature. And if you go back to 134, you understand that there's these six human needs that are consciously and unconsciously guiding your behaviors and your actions and your opinions and your thoughts and your emotions. Um, And that we're all having this same kind of cycle go on in our head. And that's why we talk about college success habits, because one of the better success habits you can have in your life is understanding that your opinion isn't the only opinion, that your way of seeing the world isn't the only way of seeing the world, that there are billions, yep, lots of billions of people on this planet, and somebody in Omaha versus New York City versus Compton versus North Dakota versus Orlando, Florida, and Dallas, and Oklahoma City, and Albuquerque, and 
I'm sure you have a college campus with tons of um, international students there as well. Now they're all going to have a different background. They're all going to have different experiences that have led them to be who they are in front of you. And the mind has habits. The mind creates these habits in order to alleviate a lot of the heavy lifting that it would have to do if it didn't create these habits. So how you react and respond to somebody is a habit. How you initially feel when somebody says something that you agree with versus how you initially feel when somebody says something that you disagree with, that's a habit. So as you go back and you look over 142, 143, and now here we are at 144 where we discussed emotional reacting and emotionally grounding, then we moved into what habits are. So where are you, what are the habits you have? Now we're going to discuss like what is a habit and how they are formed. Uh, we discussed this a little bit back in episode three. It's been a long time. So we're going to go back through some of our old episodes and we're going to bring about some new insights, some new dialogue around these topics. And we're going to do this over the next handful of episodes so that when you come back and now that you're listening and you're binging, you can say, oh, okay, let's revisit morning routine. Let's revisit our class flow. Let's revisit physical fitness and exercise, um, how we're managing our time, finding what sparks you, um, getting your mindset right for the fall. Um, and then we're going to really bring some amazing stuff home by um, having some conversations with some guests going into the school year. We're going to discuss how you, your emotions with your parents and how you're going to discuss these and how you're going to introduce a new version of yourself to your family members because you are literally stepping into a version of yourself that you're not even aware of. It exists yet. There's a constant changing in life. And anyone who says people don't change, people are always the same, they're just not aware of their changes. And what does tend to stay the same is the things that you value, the things that that your strongly held beliefs and opinions. Yes, many of those don't change, but how you introduce your topics to the world, how you talk about them to other people, that can change and shift, and your basic life will change and shift. When you're in your 20s and it's all about having fun and partying with your friends, that is not the way that you're going to behave in your 30s and 40s and 50s. You will begin to shift. Your priorities will begin to shift. And the beautiful thing about that is when you are self-aware around the shifting that's happening, you'll notice like, okay, yes, I value friendship or I value alone time or I value being on time. And those things will tend to stay the same. And that might be the aspect someone points out when they say people don't change is that your values and your strongly held opinions and beliefs, those will relatively stay where they're at. There can be some fluctuation. And and look, I'll be the first to tell you, I have changed some of my values and my strongly held opinions and beliefs. New information has been introduced to me. New experiences have been had by me. So I absolutely believe people change. I believe that people can change at a very core foundational level. Like you can go in and change the code on a computer program. I absolutely believe this is this is an occurrence. Neurolinguistic programming and cognitive behavioral therapy and everything else within that f- field of psychology has absolutely taught me that people can change at a core core level. So I don't subscribe to the people can't change. I've witnessed it within myself and thousands upon thousands of others that I've either coached or taught or met. However it's been, I have seen it. 
So if somebody says to you, no, you didn't change, everybody stays the same, they're just either unwilling to see their own changes or they just want to lock into that limiting belief because they already have a preconceived, pre-idolized view of you in their head and they're just not willing to shift that. You want to be able to shift that. You want to be able to notice other people's changes. You want to be able to notice your own changes. So in today's episode, we're going to discuss what a habit actually is so that you can be the leader of the changes in your life moving forward. And again, we did dive into this in episode three, of course. I mean, it's a very powerful episode. And so now we're going to bring it back around because that was three years ago. And when we talk about what habits are, being self-aware, and this is emotional intelligence 2.0 kind of stuff right here, right? We want to be self-aware of what our habits are. We want to be self-aware of how our emotional habits have been created. And there's three kinds of habits. There's motor motor skills, which is your physical body. There's mental habits and there's emotional habits. So these are the three kind of habits that you're already contending with, right? You've got how you always tie your shoes versus how you read material, which would be mental or how you remember things uh, versus emotional habits. When you walk in and you see a spoon in the sink that's upsetting you because you've asked your roommate or people in your house to not do that, how do you emotionally react? How do you emotionally respond? Those are your emotional habits. So now you've got mental, emotional, and physical habits. And these are the three, and I know I've talked about them in a previous episode, and I'm not sure which one, and I don't have that prepared, so I'm not going to sit here and ramble on about it. But there are three kinds of habits, and I have no doubt that somewhere in my catalog um, that one exists. And if not, I just basically gave you a quick little review of it. Physical, emotional, and mental. And so we're going to discuss today what habits are, how you created these habits, and how you can begin to recreate the habits to actually work for you rather than against you. Because you have time. It's one of this this whole idea of, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. You have time for the things that you're willing to prioritize and focus on. And we're going to get into P4F and prioritizing and focusing some future episodes because when people tell me they don't have time, what they're really saying to me is, I've already committed to some other things that your thing isn't worth prioritizing over my things, which is great. Have things that you care about. Have things that you've already prioritized. You don't have to shift exactly what you're going to do because somebody else introduces something. They come to you on Thursday and say, hey, on Saturday, we're all going to do this. You want to come and you've already got two things that you've planned. No, sorry, I'm not going to change what I've already planned for on Saturday to accommodate this thing that you're bringing to me 48 hours before my things are supposed to start. Now, if my things are sitting around on the couch and watching Netflix and, you know, staring out at the window and now you're bringing me an opportunity to go clean the river or go volunteer at a shelter or, you know, go build a playground for kids. Okay, I'll have that conversation about shifting it because I wasn't really that emotionally attached to what I was going to do anyway. But if you are emotionally attached to sitting on the couch and watching Netflix all day because you want some self-care, you don't just have to change what you're going to do because somebody else introduces to you something that they want to do. They've already prioritized that in their life. It does not mean their priority has to become your thing. I used to say this in the service industry all the time. An emergency on your end does not make something a priority on mine. 
Remember that when you walk up to uh, a ticket counter at an airport or you walk into a restaurant and you're like, we've got to go to a movie in 45 minutes. We need to eat as fast as possible. Well, you probably should have left your house on time and gotten to the restaurant on time because guess what? You're not going to get to eat your food in 45 minutes. It's going to take 20 for you to get it. So unless you want to scarf everything down in 20 minutes and then speed walk across the street, you probably should have gotten here sooner. An emergency on your end is not a priority on mine. Get your stuff figured out so that you can show up and have plenty of time next time. Again, that was a total sidebar. So let's jump into what is a habit because when we talk about our physical, emotional, and mental habits and we talk about how you would emotionally respond to somebody who brings uh, a new idea for what you could do on a Saturday afternoon when you've already planned on watching Netflix all day and staring out the window, you are going to notice a charge and a shift in your body. When you are looking at someone and you can tell or listening to somebody over the phone and you can tell that they really want you to commit to something, your body is going to start to go through some charges, some emotional shifts. Just like when you're introduced new information, it might supercharge you up and you might really enjoy it or it might bore you and you might feel nothing around it, but maybe anxiety and stress because this teacher is talking about something that you think you should care about, but they are not presenting it to you in a way that even remotely gets you emotionally attached to it. And then your physical habits of, you know, tying your shoe, the way that you get dressed and the way you brush your hair and the way you just stand, just just the way you stand and walk. Everybody has their own um, posture and their own cadence to their step. You know you've seen this because somebody you know from far away starts walking towards you. You're like, yep, that's this person because I know exactly how they walk. So these habits that we're talking about have just been ways that your brain has begun to simplify behaviors, mental aspects of your life, and your emotional reactions and responses to things because it just doesn't want to have to do heavy lifting every single time this thing continues to show up. When you start to see a pattern, and you don't even necessarily have to see it before your brain does, before your unconscious mind becomes aware of a, a pattern, it might be days or steps before your conscious mind even notices the pattern, but your unconscious mind is looking for patterns. I've already noticed this in the deer in my backyard. I moved into the wilderness, um, left Los Angeles, and there's deer on the mountain. And so people in the in the area, they feed deer. So I wanted to get on that board with that. So I've begun to feed the deer. And at first, they were super skittish when they would walk up. And so I had to put the deer food out before they got here. But then the squirrels would eat it all. So then I noticed that if I just let one or two, they send one or two scouts up to see if there's food. And those two scouts, apparently, according to what I've noticed, are the brave ones. So I would see the deer walk up to into the backyard. They'd look into the window, to, I assume, to see if I'm even there. They would watch me walk out of my living room to the back patio. I'd open up the back patio door, and I'd scoop out um, clear plastic cups of food, and I would throw it into the backyard. And they would just stand there and watch me do this. And they wouldn't even run. And then as soon as I was done, I'd close the door and all the other deer would come up. And now more deer are coming up and a couple of them are still skittish. But when I throw the food, they all come back down and they eat. The pattern, what they have learned is that if they show up and I see them, I will throw food out for them. It's Pavlov's dog. You have a lot of Pavlov dog in you as well. Your brain is looking for habits so that it can just basically trance out. 
it can just turn things into a series of unconscious movements. And the way that it does this is by connecting these synapses in your brain. It's just an information roadway that sends signals to areas of your brain that will recreate this action or behavior in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, so that it can elicit a similar um, reward, a similar outcome, right? That's what it's looking for. If It knows that if it ties your shoes the same way every single time, now all of a sudden you don't have to worry about retying your shoes for the rest of the day. The goal of that physical habit is to tie your shoes so that you stay on your feet. Once your brain figures out how to do that, it turns the entire thing into a habit. So you don't even have to think about whether it's crisscross or bunny rabbit ears, whatever it might be. When you were a kid, that seems super complicated. And now here as an adult, you can be doing 16 things and tying your shoes and it doesn't even phase you. Like you don't even remember tying your shoes because you don't have to. Your brain's turned it into a habit. How you cut vegetables, how you drive your car, these are all physical habits. And your mind creates habits utilizing a habit loop. So if you go back to the Charles Duhigg book, right, and we've referenced this plenty of times, The Power of Habit, he introduces us to the habit loop. And other people have done it as well. There's, there's other ways of discussing this. I'm just a big proponent of this book because of how simplified it makes the entire process so you can understand how you make habits. And so you make habits based off of a loop, and it goes cue, craving, response, reward. Now, the cue can be, caused, can be called activation, or some people call it a trigger, right? Like somebody can be like, oh, I was triggered, and that's why I acted emotionally erratic. I was triggered, and that's why I yelled at you. You put the spoon in the sink, and I was triggered because I've told you not to, and that's why I yelled at you. So the, the spoon in the sink is the cue, or it's the, what activates the pre-programmed habit loop. A lot of people call it trigger as well. We're going to call it cue for this episode, and most of the time I refer to it as cue. But if you hear me say cue, activation, or trigger, understand that I'm talking about the same thing. It's just hitting the start button. It's just hitting the start button like you would on a video game, like it's hitting enter on a remote to, to get the Netflix show to, to come pop up. It's just what starts the habit loop. So how do you create these habits, right? You, you create them because of this cue, craving, response, reward. When you want to make a new habit, you have to figure out your cue, Let's go to the morning routine, which we'll discuss more in depth in a future episode. The alarm on your uh, clock next to your bed or your phone going off, it is your cue to sit up and get up. Now, you can hit snooze. So for you, the cue for the alarm going off might be hitting snooze for the next hour. But either way, it is a cue that elicits a pre-programmed response. So if you get yourself into the habit of hitting snooze six times, right, now all of a sudden when you actually want to get up, it might be a little bit more difficult because you're used to hitting snooze so many times. This is one of the reasons why I work with my clients and and the, the students I coach to start to narrow down that number. I still like to hit snooze once or twice. But I bank in that extra 14 minutes because our phones do it for like seven minutes. So I bank in that extra. But after that second one, that's it. It's time to get up. That gives my brain enough time to realize that I'm awake. But an alarm clock is a cue. The school bell in high school was a cue. 
Somebody saying hello is a cue for you to say hello back and reach out and shake their hand or, or maybe not shake their hand after COVID, right? But somebody saying hello becomes a cue. Somebody saying their name cues you to say your name. Do you remember their names? How you remember names is a habit as well. So getting up in the morning, um, that is a huge cue that is started by the phone going off. So when you want to start moving into new habit creation, you figure out the cue and what it, what you're craving from that. The alarm clock goes off in the morning. You're craving to get up, start your day. You're craving coffee. You're craving the shower. Um, you're craving something. You're, something is being craved. Your, body, your mind and your body are like, this is what we need. We're awake. Let's do this. Then your response is to go do that thing. Right, So if it's coffee, the alarm clock goes off, that's the cue to sit up out of bed. The craving now becomes coffee. Your response is to go into the kitchen, make coffee, drink coffee, and your reward is you are now have coffee. It can be the same thing going into a Starbucks. Right, The cue is walking into the Starbucks. The craving now is coffee. It's been coffee. That's what led you to the Starbucks. Your response is to order coffee, stand there patiently. Now you have the coffee. Boom. Reward is drinking coffee. So you want to start to notice where these habits are in your life. You have thousands of them. From the way you put on your shoes to where you put your books when you come home to where you sit on your couch, how you sit on your couch. And if they're working for you, then continue. By all means, continue. But if you find that they're not working for you, then you want to be able to locate the cue. And cues can be extremely obvious, right? It can be sitting down on the couch and picking up the remote. Is that cue you off to open up Netflix or Hulu or turn on a video game? The craving, right? Cravings are often very attractive. The craving could be just unwinding and turning off your brain for a little bit. So that's why you flip on the video game. The response is to play the video game, right? This is going to be something that your mind has turned extremely easy for you because you want the response to this cue and this craving to be something that is easily done. It's what your brain is searching for, things to do that are easy. So it can just go off and keep your heart beating and keep your blood pumping. It's got thousands upon thousands of things it's doing every single second for you. And the last thing it needs to do is have to learn how to retie a shoe or learn how to push buttons on a PlayStation controller every single time you want to do that. I mean, let's be honest here. If human beings had to remember how to breathe, we never would have made it out of the cave. We'd have been so focused 100,000 years ago or whatever of remembering to breathe that we wouldn't have been able to get up and go outside and hunt food and gather food. Because as soon as we started thinking about hunting and gathering food, our brains would have not been thinking about breathing, and then we would have suffocated. So all of these unconscious habits are extremely important to you living a fulfilling life, to you just breathing. But now we're in a world where we're being fed more information in a week than our ancestors just 100 years ago would get in their entire lifetime. And our brains aren't catching up with the speed of the technology. So that's why our phones have become so massively addictive because it was introduced to us, you know, phones really just came about. I mean, there was pagers in the late 90s and then next thing you know, there's brick phones in the early 2000s and then smartphones right around 2010 and our brains have just not caught up to it. But certainly the people who create these apps and who created the phone, they understand the psychology of it. And it's going to take our brains some time to adapt fully to what's happening, but we are getting much faster at adapting to technology 
at least our ability to use it, but maybe not manage it in a healthy way because our brains are looking for habits and apps are just nothing but a series of pushing buttons. It's how I remember, I don't even have to remember where Spotify or Shazam or my you know Robinhood app are on my phone. I just know exactly where they're at. I know exactly how to get to TikTok. I know exactly where Instagram is. It's not like my, my apps shift. I keep them in the same place because then it's a habit. I know exactly where I want it to go. But if I move one of my, hab- one of my apps and it shifts all of them down one, now my brain goes and it, will, it goes to find the app where it's always been, but it's not there anymore. So now it has to create a new habit. And it does it utilizing cue, craving, response, reward. So when you want to continue a good habit, when you want to start a new habit, you want to make the cue obvious. The craving, what you're you're seeking to get as as the reward, you want to make it attractive because that's what's going to lead you to the reward. Your response, you want it to be easy. You want to make sure that it's something that you can turn into a habit that your, your mind can habituate. And then the reward, you want to make it satisfying. If it's food or if it's a video game or if it's something, you want it to be delicious. You want it to lead you to that state of calmness that you're seeking. When we go to instill good habits, making them obvious, making them attractive, making it easy, making it satisfying is how your brain is going to be looking for the ease of setting up new habits in your brain, utilizing cue, craving, response, reward. This is what happens for everybody. You're not special. This is what's happening. You might have different terms for it. You might have a different language you use over in your country for it, but it's this process, cue, craving, response, reward. So when you want to shift a habit, right, this is what we, there's a, there's a thing, a book called Habit Stacking, where you you start to shift your habits and right, so that it can be something like a micro habit. If you have been brushing your teeth and washing your face and going to the bathroom before bed, and now you want to floss, you simply slide flossing in between brushing your teeth and washing your face because you've already created a habit stack around getting ready for bed. So if you want to instill a new habit in your life, find a a habit you've already got a cue, craving, response, reward pattern established for, and then slide the new habit into there. So I have a way, when I'm at home, of finishing dinner, putting all the dishes in in the kitchen, washing washing my hands, and then washing my face before I start to clean up the kitchen. So I like to water pick my teeth after I'm done eating because it's good for my gums. So now instead of washing my hands in the kitchen sink, I just shifted washing my hands into the bathroom sink. And so now I'm already in there washing my hands. I can turn on the water pick, clean out my teeth, and then I can wash my face. And then that's it. That's the end of my dinner routine. And it was super simple. All I had to do was change the environment of where I washed my hands after dinner. And boom, next thing you know, over the course of a few days, it just became programmed in. I might find myself washing my hands and my face in this kitchen sink. I would just go walk over to the bathroom and just redo it there and slide in the water picking of the teeth. The cue was dinner done and getting up. The craving was washing my hands and face. Now it became washing my hands, face, and water picking my teeth. So my response was to go do that. I needed to shift the environment in order to do it. And then what made it satisfying was is that I have some mouthwash that I put into the water pick fluid so that when I'm done, I have this satisfying minty flavor in my mouth. And that became the um, olfactory. 
and gustatory, the smelling of the mint, the tasting of the mint became the satisfying reward. And now I know I've taken care of my gums, which I know is important because trust me, in my 20s, I did not care about the dentist. And in my 40s, I definitely care about the dentist. So be mindful of a habit like that. So when you go to break a bad habit, it's just doing the same cue craving response reward, but it's doing it slightly differently. So when you want to break a bad habit, you want to make the cue invisible. If it's, if it's, let's say you smoke cigarettes and you no longer want to smoke cigarettes. I don't know how many people smoke cigarettes anymore. I'm not being a proponent for it. I just know it back when I was in college, a lot of people did. So let's just go with that because a lot of people say that it's a bad habit and it definitely is full of carcinogens and poisons. So I can definitely thumbs up to the idea that it's a bad habit. And yet I still did it for 20 years. So in order to make smoking cigarettes uh, a habit that you're now setting your mind to break and, and shift away from, the cue, making it invisible. So when you're done eating and you normally would have had a cigarette um, or you know gotten another beer or whatever it might have been, let's just stick with cigarettes. Sorry I'm using this as an example. It's just super easy to explain. First of all, don't have cigarettes around you. Don't have them within your eyesight. Don't be hanging out with other people who smoke. You make the cue of smoking a cigarette invisible by just not having it around. Right then, the craving of making smoking cigarettes unattractive. Right, you could change the way you picture yourself in your mind smoking a cigarette. So your face could be all yellow, your teeth could be all dingy and falling apart and black and gross. Make smoking a cigarette un- unattractive. Instead of in your mind, perhaps perhaps you have this you know picture of an old classic movie where they're all the characters you know, Humphrey Bogart and all them are smoking cigarettes back in the day, which by the way Hollywood was paid by tobacco manufacturers to highlight cigarette smoking in their movies so that sales of cigarettes would increase because they made the cue very obvious. They made it very attractive by having attractive people in Hollywood smoking cigarettes. They made it extremely easy by a pack of cigarettes being like a penny. And then they, 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 they told you it was satisfying. Uh, and you, somebody tells you it's satisfying enough. This will help you relax. This will make you happy. This will be the great way to end a beautiful day. Right? Then all of a sudden they made the reward, reward seem satisfying. So now we're just going to shift all of that. And we're going to make the cue invisible. We're going to make the craving unattractive. We're going to make the response difficult. And we're going to make the reward unsatisfying. So when you want to quit smoking cigarettes, make it invisible. Don't have them around. Don't be around people who smoke. The craving, make it unattractive. Picture yourself gross and, and yellow, or you know, picture you know nowadays smoking is so seen as such a bad social endeavor that where you can smoke is you know oftentimes in the back corner of of a place, or you know they, they tell you to go across the street and stand by the dumpster. So make it unattractive. Make your visualization of you smoking a cigarette unattractive, of it being gross, of you being gross, of the place you have to smoke being gross. The response, making it difficult. Don't have them, if you don't have them around, if they're not visible and they're not in your pocket and they're not in your purse or your backpack, now all of a sudden, if you really wanted one, you got to go to the store. There's a lot of opportunity from you getting in your car or walking to the store for you to be like, okay, I don't want this. This isn't what I want. Right? And then, then the reward, make it unsatisfying. You just tell yourself, 2,000 carcinogens in it. Um, you know, this t- tastes gross. This tastes like dirt. This tastes like dog. This is bad. You can just make the reward unsatisfying. Perhaps you, if you're going to have a cigarette, you got to do 50 push-ups first. Perhaps you have to do 50 push-ups after. It'll be very unsatisfying before or after a cigarette to have to do 50 push-ups because you will be out of breath. And now you're going to smoke a cigarette and be out of breath or have just smoked a cigarette and do a bunch of push-ups and jumping jacks and be out of breath. 
So you want to make the cue invisible, the craving unattractive, the response difficult, and the reward unsatisfying. And when you want to break a bad habit, this is how you do it. Now, you have to be aware of what your cues are. You have to be understanding of what your craving is and what your response and what your reward. And we talk about this stuff over at my hub. When we do group coaching over there, when we have our meetings, when I do one-on-one, I help you make sure you understand what your cues, what your cravings, what your responses, and what your rewards are. But for the sake of this episode, now you have a fundamental idea. You can go off and Google The Power Habit by Charles Duhigg. You can reach out to me on social media. There's, it's easy to find me. I've given you all the links in my show notes. And by all means, you can sign up for The Hub. Because this summer, I'm putting together an entire course based on the topic that we have just discussed. How habits are formed and what you can do over the first couple of days and weeks and months as you begin to shift habits that are no longer serving you. Perhaps you drink too much, or you smoke cigarettes, or you yell and scream at people whenever you really rather not. Most people might not think that your brain is utilizing the same habit structure when you smoke a cigarette or drink too much as it is whenever you yell and scream at people, but it is. It utilizes cue craving response reward because this is the way that it elicits a feedback loop. It can be a desirable feedback loop that's used when a good habit is being instilled and utilized, or it can be a negative feedback loop when a bad habit is being used. It's up to you to notice within yourself whether these habits that you're creating are leading you to the life that you desire, or if it's pushing you further away from where you want to be. We're all so uniquely varied in this world. There's no way I could possibly throw out all the infinite options that there are of habits that can be created. But you can utilize your self-awareness to notice where habits are. And if you come out of a behavior and you're like, damn, like that is so not how I wanted to behave with my girlfriend or boyfriend, right? Now the reward is extremely unsatisfying. You can say that is a bad habit, Right. They said something that cued me off. I got emotionally triggered. I was craving for them to hear me or for them to think I was right. So my response was to scream at them. And now the reward is we slamming doors and we're not talking for the next day. That is very unsatisfying. So now how can you turn that into a good habit? Whenever something gets cued in you by them, it's obvious. They said, I can't believe you left your dirty underwear on the floor. Now the craving could be to connect with them So they understand that you didn't do it on purpose, that your mind was just elsewhere. Your response can become easier by saying, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do it. I'm not making excuses for myself, but my mind was off in another place. I will be more present in life and I will will seek to not leave my dirty underwear on the floor. Now the reward is that at least you didn't scream at each other. And maybe it's even a warm embrace and it's an understanding that we're all humans and we're going to make some, you know, quote unquote mistakes sometimes. One of my newest favorite sayings is is whenever I find myself, and I'm using air quotes here, making a mistake. And it's just something that, you know, I, I leave a dirty dish out. I, I do something that it's just inadvertent. And it's often because I'm in my head. I'm in my head and not present in my body in the moment at the time. So I've changed it from, Jesse, you're stupid. Why'd you make that mistake? And it to something as simple as this. Wow, life just humbled me. I will be more present moving forward. I'm going to say that again because I got chills when I said it. And I, it's, it's this simple. Whenever you're like, I'm stupid. That was a stupid question. I'm just a dummy. I'm just no, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of that. I want you to release this thing inside of you that thinks you have to beat yourself up to become a better person. 
And instead, I want you to step into a space of humility and gratitude towards yourself for being a fallible human who's just not going to be 100% perfect in life because perfection doesn't exist. So simply say to yourself, wow, I was just humbled by life. I will be more present moving forward. So you've, you've acknowledged that life can be humbling because you will do things that aren't what you would prefer and that moving forward, you'll be more present. Not I will, you know, I will start being more present. I will be more present moving forward. That is a command you're making to your unconscious mind to be more present moving forward. And you've been gentle on yourself by simply saying, wow, life is humbling because life is humbling. Right? You'll have an accident and you'll, you'll, you'll fender bender somebody's car. You'll miss an appointment. You'll show up late. You'll spill tomato sauce on somebody's prized shirt or you know, spill something on a couch or a rug. It's going to happen. There are just so many different actions and behaviors and thoughts and feelings that we have on any given day. To think that we're ever going to be able to completely satisfy ourselves, let alone anyone else, is absurd. So be gentle on yourself. Say that life is humbling and you'll be more present moving forward. And as you're utilizing this presentness, now your eyes are wide open to how cue craving response reward is making your good habits obvious, attractive, easy, and satisfying on how you can begin to use this to show yourself how your bad habits can now become invisible, unattractive, difficult, and unsatisfying. And it's through this power of habit that you truly will be able to step into the meant to be in life to your highest sense of self. All right, my friends, we'll see you at the next week's episode. Take care now. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy. Release and allow your life to flow. Bye-bye. 